You just arrived for your professor's office hours with 10 minutes left. There's time for one question, and your professor has to answer quickly, but clearly and accurately so you understand. Welcome to Cali Laudables, your audio love professor. Today you asked Professor Leslie Garfield of the Pace University School of Law about causation in torts and criminal law. Hello, Professor Garfield. Hi, Lucia. How are you? I am good. I'm studying, and I thought that I would stop by to ask you about the difference between causation in torts and causation in criminal law, if you could clarify that for me a little bit. No problem. That's a really common question. So causation, broadly defined, is the relationship between the act of the defendant and the harm that the defendant causes, right? But before we discuss the difference between causation and criminal law and causation and tort, I just want to talk for a second about the difference between criminal law and tort generally. Mm-hmm. One who commits a crime is punished by loss of liberty, right. and one who commits a tort has a financial penalty. So because society values liberty more than finance, the law is a little stricter in who it's willing to hold guilty than who it's willing to hold civilly responsible. So basically, someone who commits the same act can be found liable in tort, but can be excused from criminal punishment. Example might be with assault. But now let's just move on to causation. So since assault is a crime in a tort, right? Mm-hmm. We have to have causation for assault in crime, and it's causation for assault in tort. It's the same principle. In both tort and criminal law, we have the same two-pronged test. Prong one, but for the defendant's conduct, the harm would not have occurred. And prong two, is it reasonably foreseeable that the defendant's conduct would cause the harm? Let me start with prong one, but for. But for causation is called actual causation, that the defendant actually caused the harm. Now, the easy case is I pull out a gun and shoot you. Sorry, like you, but (laughs) I'm going to shoot you. Anyway, I pull out a gun and I shoot you. But for my pointing the gun at you and pulling the trigger, you would not have died. That's easy. A more difficult but-for situation would be, let's say, from toward Paul's graph. Remember Mrs. Paul's graph? I sure do. All right, so what happened in Paul's graph was the employee of the railroad pushed a passenger onto a train. The passenger dropped a package. The package had fireworks. The fireworks exploded. They hit scales at the other end of the train track, and the scales hit poor Mrs. Paul's graph. Now, we had but-for causation. But for the defendant employee of the railroad pushing the passenger onto the train, the package wouldn't have fallen, the fireworks would not have exploded, the explosion wouldn't have hit something down the other side and hit the scales, and the scales wouldn't have hit poor Mrs. Paul's graph's head. Right. But is it fair to say to the um, railroad, just because this happened, you are responsible? And that's where proximate cause, the second prong of the two-prong test, comes in. Once you prove actual causation, then we have the second prong, proximate cause. Proximate cause, or the foreseeability test, is also called legal causation. Mm -hmm. And the reason it's called legal causation is because it's whether we will hold someone legally responsible for causing the harm. Now, we hold someone legally responsible for causing the harm if a reasonable person would say it's foreseeable that this kind of harm could happen, which makes sense, right? We're only going to hold someone responsible for what they can reasonably anticipate happening and therefore preventing, rather. So legal causation 
is proximate causation. Did we proximately cause it to the extent that we're going to hold you legally responsible? In criminal law, the question is basically whether it is reasonably foreseeable that your conduct should be the legal cause of harm such that you should go to jail. In tort law, the question is, is it foreseeable that your conduct should be the legal cause that we should punish you financially? Since we're willing to punish financially a little more easily than we're willing to punish loss of liberty, mm -hmm. that's where the difference between causation in tort and causation in criminal law comes in. Nothing other than sometimes we're a little more likely to allow for the foreseeability test to go a little further. So basically, the foreseeability test is that it has to be reasonably foreseeable that this kind of conduct would cause harm such that we're going to hold you legally responsible. In tort, we're going to keep it kind of tight. In criminal law, we may allow it to go a little further. Example, Kibbe. Let's talk criminal law now. We did some tort, now we'll do criminal law. In People versus Kibbe, the defendants took a victim, they robbed him and left him nude on the side of the road. Correct? Right. A car came by and hit the victim. But for the car coming by, the victim wouldn't have died. But the driver of the car was not the one responsible. So we have to look at the defendant's conduct. So let's do the but-for and foreseeability test from the viewpoint of the defendant. But for the defendant leaving the victim on the side of the road nude, the car wouldn't have come by and hit the victim, and the victim wouldn't have died. So we've got but-for. Is it reasonably foreseeable when you leave someone nude on the side of the road on a frigid night, at night a car could come by and hit that person? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. That's the proximate cause test. Now, if we were just doing this from a civil perspective, it would be up to the jury to decide by a preponderance of the evidence, right, mm -hmm. whether that's the kind of harm that was foreseeable such that we should hold the defendant financially responsible. Probably yes. If we're doing it from a criminal standpoint, it would be up to the jury to decide, is this the kind of harm that is foreseeable such that we would say we're willing to say the defendant causes harm and if we prove act intent, the defendant should go to jail? Yes. So you see, it's exactly the same test and it's a jury question as to foreseeability and the jury's going to decide based on standard of proof and circumstances. There's one more thing that we want to discuss because what we've talked about is the easy case, the direct cause type of situation for proximate cause. Mm -hmm. But there is one thing you need to know about proximate cause which is important in both tort and criminal law that um, can relieve the defendant of liability and that's the intervening superseding act. In my kiddie hypothetical... Those definitely can make it confusing. They can. <laughs> so let's explain it. In the kiddie hypothetical, right, the question is why wasn't the truck driver the one who was charged? And the reason why was because it was the defendant's illegal conduct that put the chain of events in motion. The car driver, the truck driver, may have not even been acting negligently. He may have been acting within the boundaries and maybe the victim fell into the road. So when a third party or a third event occurs, mm -hmm. the issue becomes whether that kind of intervening event relieves the defendant of liability. In the case of Kibbe, the car didn't. But what if it was a plane that landed on this uh, victim? Well, in that case, I would say the defendant would be relieved of liability. Why? Because that is an unforeseeable coincidence. And when an unforeseeable coincidence interrupts the chain of events, it's said to break the chain and relieve the defendant of responsibility.
All right, so that's a bizarre example, which happens to be cited in the Kibbe case, but let's take a more reasonable example. Let's say that the defendant, we'll make him criminal right now, stabs a victim and puts the victim on an operating table to repair the wound. And while the victim's wound is being repaired, the doctor who's repairing the wound finds a hernia and says, I'm going to fix that. And he botches the hernia, and as a result, the victim dies, not because of the repaired stab wound, but because of fixing the hernia. In that case, the defendant is relieved of liability. Because even though we can say, but for stabbing the victim, the victim wouldn't have ended up on the operating table, the doctor wouldn't have operated, the defendant has no control over the doctor making an independent decision to fix a hernia. So that's an independent act that breaks the chain. So independent acts break the chain. When a third party acts in response, that may not break the chain. So let me give you a different hypothetical. Let's say that the defendant rapes the victim and the victim is rendered so upset that she, in response, jumps out a window and kills herself. That victim's independent decision does not break the chain. Why? Because reasonable responses to the defendant's conduct does not break the chain. Summary. Defendant is responsible in tort and in criminal law if the party going against the defendant can prove but for the defendant's conduct this harm would not have occurred. And that's just drawing a line, mm-hmm. telling a story. And if the person bringing the charges or, or the civil complaint against the defendant can say that the defendant's conduct was the proximate cause of the victim's harm. The defendant's conduct is the proximate or legal cause of the victim's harm if it is foreseeable that the defendant's conduct would cause the victim's harm. And it's foreseeable if it's a reasonably direct cause. Sometimes there's third parties like trucks involved. But when the event, the third party event that causes the harm is what's called an intervening superseding event, one that is coincidence, unique, independent, that breaks the chain, and that relieves the defendant of liability. Do you have any questions? I'm glad I stopped by. Great. Good to see you. Let me know if you ever have a question again. Take care. Bundables are produced and distributed by Cali. That's the Center for Computer Assisted Legal Instruction. You can find more Laudables at www.cali.org slash laudables. And you can send your questions and feedback to laudables at cali.org. That's L-A-W-D-I-B-L-E-S at cali with a C dot org. The Laudable theme music is Ask Me No Question by Learning Music. Laudables are for educational purposes only. Please seek an attorney if you need legal advice.